Hey guys, how's it going? Today we're gonna talk about uh, Stripe Atlas and their Founder's Guide to Equity. I decided to do this because anyways, reading helps me, like, well, talking out loud helps me read better. And I also wanna do it for uh, my co-founder, uh, you know, who gave me the task of like, you know, taking care of this more bureaucratic stuff. But I do want, want to make sure that uh, maybe while he's jogging or, or whatever, uh, you know, he can listen to the podcast and basically read it uh, if he wants. So here we go. Stripe Atlas, Founders Guide to Equity. Equity is ownership in the economic returns from a business and a measure of influence over how it conducts its affairs. Founders and employees of startups should understand how equity functions because it forms an important part of how voting power is distributed within companies and how returns are structured throughout the startup ecosystems. ecosystem. Bluntly, if you don't understand how equity works, you will work for people who do. By the end of the guide, you'll understand first how to purchase stock as a founder of a newly incorporated company, how vesting works and whether you, your company should adopt it. The answer is, my opinion, always yes. In Italy, they make a lot of mistake of not doing vesting, but that's that's another discussion. Why IP assignments are important in connection with stock grants? And I guess with IP that they meant intellectual property. I don't know why they didn't why they shortened it. Why 83B elections are so impactful for startup founders? We'll see that later. It's about taxes. It's, a, it's a more of a tax form. There are many places where you can innovate with your company, but legal practices are rarely one of the most fruitful places to spend your risk budget. Just do what your startup lawyers advise you do, you to do. Details and timing really matters here. Founders who start their company with Stripe Atlas can use our tool to issue stock to founders for free with legal templates from Oric and terms that are standard among many tech startups and top investors. This guide is most relevant for startup founders immediately after they've incorporated a company. We'll cover the treatment of equity for investors and for startups employee at a later date. There are, there are a variety of vehicles for equity. The most common is shares, which are simply units that represent pieces of a company. A company will authorize a certain number of shares when it, incorporated, when it is incorporated and perhaps authorize additional shares from, the time to, from time to time thereafter and issue them periodically in return for money, labor and other valuable things. Perhaps, counterintuitively, founders of a company do not Counterintuitively, founders of, founders of a company do not automatically own equity in it. Instead, they purchase their shares, often described as founder stock, from the company shortly after incorporation. As the company has almost no value immediately after incorporation, the shares will be very, very inexpensive. They are assigned a very low price, low price par value, perhaps on the order of 0.00001 per share that was a cent or no i don't even know what cent but of a dollar <clears throat> there were too many zeros for a cent um as long as the founder buys share before any additional value is added to the company the founder can buy those shares at a par value without tax consequences for the founder and the company it is the founder's interest to purchase shares when it's when it is obvious that the shares are still valid at par as soon as possible after incorporation. 
then the founders and future employees go about go about the hard necessity necessary work of building the business in addition to creating value in the world in the world and satisfying customers one goal of the enterprise is to make the business more valuable this results in the equity in the business becoming more valuable which provides a substantial portion of the economic returns to founders and employees eventually if the business is successful it can be acquired with each equity owner being compensated generally in proportion to their ownership interest right or or its share can be traded publicly these are called liquidity events where you basically get money because equity in private companies is otherwise illiquid it cannot be conveniently converted into money equity is recorded on a capitalization table or cap table which is a spreadsheet showing who owns how many shares of the company the cap table lists all founders investors employees advisors and x everything who own a stake in the company i would say uh, okay yeah since equity is generally awarded via contracts it can carry terms with it like vesting described below which materially impact how it will function for you you get equity by buying it from someone who is selling it on mutually acceptable terms. In the special case where someone who is selling it is a corporation you just created, you might have substantial latitude for what those terms are. If shares are, are purchased at the time or immediately following corporation, you'll generally be purchasing at par value, a number which is very, very low relative to future values of the stock in any successful outcome. Companies extract a few terms in return for selling equity to you and any co-founders. One of them, one is an IP assignment. This is generally a contract which clarifies that any intellectual property you create over the course of your employment with the company and potentially related intellectual property you already have created related to the company is the property of the company rather than you. The IP assignment for IP created during your employment is often if often formally called a confidential information and invention assignment agreement or CIIAA for short stripe atlas has templates which include ip assignments in the common stock purchase agreement to cover ip which predates the company and a CIIAA for IP created during the employment with the company. Okay. So basically, one that covers you know, any invention on any IP before you incorporate it, and another one that basically covers, you know, like after uh, you've incorporated. Startups often condition purchasing equity. On execution of IP assignments. This is because IP assignment is extraordinarily, extraordinarily important for startups. Damn, my English is getting bad. To document correctly, as otherwise, when a movie is eventually made about your company, it will likely include a subplot about how expensive fixing that problem was. Since founders and employees of startups generally very much want to receive their equity, getting it on IP assignments being signed means that the company reliably ex collects the signatures needed to establish IP ownership. It means by construction that anyone owning equity in the company is unlikely 
to have an unresolved IP issue to let their users negotiating lever against the company. This is important to both have done and to be able to conveniently demonstrate you have done. Investors and acquirers do not want to take on the risk of working with companies with a company with unclear IP assignments that invites ruinously expensive lawsuits into their operation into their operations years after the fact. If you do not have a well documented paper trail on IP when they check your documents during due diligence routine pre-transaction investigation, which is basically a routine pre-transaction investigation into you and your company, fixing the paper trail will either cost you a lot of money and stress, or it will kill the deal entirely. Don't let this happen to you. Get the contracts your your lawyer give you signed, your lawyers give you signed, and then keep them in an organized and accessible fashion forever. Equity generally isn't simply awarded, it is traded. It is important to document that an exchange of value for equity actually happened to avoid unpleasant tax consequences. For founders at the company who purchased shares at the time of incorporation, this will generally be an exchange of a nominal amount of money, par value sometimes par value times number of shares received for the shares and or an assignment of any relevant IP generated prior to the time of incorporation. Funders that use Stripe Atlas to issue stock purchase their share with a combination of money and IP. Ownership in startups, both for founders and employees, vests over time. It isn't awarded immediately on joining, but rather accrues according to a pre-agreed vesting schedule. There are a variety of reasons why startups choose to issue equity subject to vesting. Mostly, it is about aligning incentives between the company, the person receiving the equity, and all other owners of the company. Value is created over a long period of time. Ownership of the company should be earned over that period and not instantly. Otherwise, someone might leave early with substantial substantial ownership that was not earned by producing substantial value. Imagine a company with three founders. One of them leaves after three months. This happens extremely frequently, by the way. The other two work for the next six years and eventually build the company to a massively successful business that can be sold is it fair or just outcome for for each of those three founders to earn the same amount from the sale? No, it is manifest, manifestly, manifestly unfair to the founders who stayed with the company. It is in fact so unfair that the depth of the impeding unfairness might kill the company as soon as the first founder leaves. This is an outcome that no one wants. The company would prefer to continue existing. Its customer would prefer to continue being serviced. Its employees would continue to would prefer to continue having jobs. Its remaining founders would prefer to continue owning an equitable portion of it, and its departing founder would prefer to not see their work go to the not. Vesting might have prevented a collapse. Vesting is the contractual right between a company and a person, and is as configurable configurable as any other contractual arrangement. It is frequently implemented in two parts for the founders, awarding the founder shares upfront and simultaneously specifying conditions when the company may repurchase some or all of those shares at the cost the founders paid for the shares. The founder's risk of losing some of the shares generally decays over time according to a vesting schedule 
eventually reaching a point where none of the shares are at risk. Are at risk. The individual is then fully vested. For founders, Silicon Valley companies often use vesting schedules, of vesting schedules where a portion of the shares vests after a fixed period and the remainder vests in equal amounts over a longer term. The standard vesting schedule among companies in the tech industry is four-year vesting, one-year cliff. This is also the default term for using Stripe Atlas to issue stock for a multi-funder company. The fixed period is referred as the cliff. None of the shares are vested until the cliff date, at which point a significant number of the shares vest. Typically, a fraction of the shares is equal to the fraction of the total vesting period represented by the cliff. Basically, accordingly, under four-year vesting, one-year cliff, 25% of the shares vest upon the first year of service being complete. The remainder of the shares typically vest in equal monthly increments over the, rem over the remainder, remainder of the vesting period. With four-year vesting, one-year cliff, with the, rem the remaining 75% is divided into 36 equal installments that vest monthly over the ensuing three years. So basically, you know, you what's a four four year once again repetita juvent like the Romans said this is key for vesting itself and not a click key clear concepts especially to my fellow engineers that haven't studied business like like I did uh, I wish I studied tech but I didn't so sorry guys I'll, I'll be the teacher now again four year cliff four year uh, one year cliff four year vesting okay first year you get the 25% of your, let's let's say you had a 10%, okay, in the company, just to make the numbers easy. In the first year, you get that 2.5% of your equity, right? And then in the last three, in the last three years, you get the rest of the 7.5%. Every month you get it after that first year. So it's just to make sure that like you definitely remain after the first year, right? You have that strong incentive. And then you gradually keep getting it, right? Um, it's just a standard best practice, so it's typically what everybody does. Now, uh, this is the only other thing I've been thinking, so let's let's see what it says. Some companies use variations in this vesting schedule, for example, lengthening the vesting period to five or six years, or having the numbers of shares awarded per month to backweighted to incentivize staying in the company for an extended period. It's important to read your legal agreements very carefully. Vesting math, including edge cases, generally has to be agreed upon in advance. Fixing mistakes after a schedule has been agreed upon can be very, very expensive, particularly in the case where the relationship between the founders is strained, as it often is when they have parted ways and a substantial amount of money is on the line. To be honest, this is the only thing I was thinking is that I think extending to five, six years shouldn't, it's not a bad thing, and this would not only apply to founders but it would also apply uh to employees i think we're uh, the kind of companies we're building with this SaaS uh, is companies that can last for a long time or potentially forever so it's not that we are we're just saying that hey we want to go in this for the long term we want to make this really successful um it's not just uh, a few years you know it's, it's longer than that and 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 that's when when you kind of increase the vesting i think but I'm actually curious to hear what other people think. 
Founders may be resident reticent about accept investing because it is a mechanism by which they can lose ownership interest in their own company. Investors and savvy co-founders, however, will generally require require you to do it as a condition of doing business with you. Vesting is particularly important for companies with multiple founders. Founder relationships can be very intense because startups are intense. Your company will grow in the new and unpredictable directions over the next few years, and founders may find themselves growing in ways that are incompatible with the direction of the company. And likely can also work out, hopefully. Even best friends sometimes need to separate over the course of doing your company. Totally true. Even brothers. Vesting gives a pre-agreed orderly structure to deciding how the breakup happens. Without vesting, arguments over ownership and control after founder leaves can result in the company disintegrating, leaving everyone, the company founders who remain and the founders who leave, worse off than if the company had divided interest in the fashion contemplated by a vesting arrangement. For sure, vesting is a must, guys. Everybody do it. Vesting is less important for solo founders since it is unlikely the founder could leave the company and have it survive and be valuable. That said, you may want to consider adopting it anyways. Investors will likely require it as a condition of investment, though you can negotiate the exact term terms with them. You will also be able to show potential future employees that you're being equitable with regards to vesting their own equity grants. Yeah. So basically, if you have employ- even if you're a solo founder, you have employees, you're you're treating them in the same way. Yeah, you are willing you are willing to do it yourself after all. Yeah, if you choose not to impose vesting at the outset, you can always subsequently impose vesting on your shares with a restri- with a stock restriction agreement. Vesting agreements additionally protect the interests of founders and the company from the eventual desires of people who might take the founder's seat at the table, often without the company permission. You might have total trust in your co-founders to optimize for the company interest at all times. Okay, this one was not clear to me, to be honest. Who the hell might want to take the founder's seat at the table without the company permission? Investors? <laughs> yeah, like an angel investor. Goddamn angel investors. They want to become a founder. Worst kind. Um, unless they're back, that should never happen. They shouldn't really do it. That's, that's a bad situation. You might have total trust in your co-founders to optimize for the company's interest at all times. Even if you do, if tragedy were to strike, their seat at the proverbial table could fall to their heirs or lawyers. Those new parties might not be as automatically supportive of the company interest or the wishes of the co-founders as the co-founders as the co-founder they replaced was. Vesting allows you to give an appropriate level of protection to both the future of your company and the rights of all stakeholders, including a new party in the event somebody joins the cap table unexpectedly. You have limited bandwidth for hard conversations with with your co-founders and preparing contingency plans for every possible failure scenario would likely would result in a lot of hard conversations. Silicon Valley standard terms account for experience with death divorces, lawsuits, and acronymous founder breakups, sometimes with billions of dollars on the line, and are robust against them. So why reinvent the wheel? Strongly consider adopting industry standard vesting terms so you can spend your bandwidth on things which actually will make your company more successful. In most cases, the company will elect to exercise 
will elect to exercise the remaining portion of its repurchase rights against any unvested shares the departing founder has purchased. It will do this. Let me read this again because I got a text that distracted me. And let me put. Sorry, freaking. Oh, I love it. When, got an, when I get, I get an email when somebody registers on sharedogview.com, please do register on that. In most cases, the companies will elect to exercise the remaining portion of its repurchase right against any invested shares the departing founder has purchased. Yeah. So if you basically, if the yeah, basically the agreement is so that the company can purchase the shares that the the the, the departing founders has left. It will it will do this in the manner specified in the lever contract in the relevant contracts. This may involve giving the funder written notice of the intent to repurchase their invested shares and then paying back the price they paid for those shares. Note that the amount paid to repurchase shares or options is not the current value but the price originally paid for the shares. The repurchase won't lead to a gain or loss. It means for the funder who leaves before being fully vested, if their shares are repurchased, they will generally receive only a nominal amount of compensation for the shares. For example, if a founder owns 4 million shares acquired at a par value of 0.00001 per share and only 25% are vested, the company will repurchase 3 million shares for 30 bucks. $30. Companies should be very, very certain that the payment is actually made for repurchase shares, even though the amounts will often be negligible. One very much would not want to discover during due diligence for an IPO that the company was like 3 million shares worth several hundred million dollars because someone forgot to write a $30 check six years ago. Just as contracts define vesting schedules, they can also define criteria criteria under which the vesting happens faster and otherwise scheduled. This is called acceleration. The most variant of this among sophisticated entrepreneurs results in a percentage of unvested equity vesting upon an event called a trigger. There are two main flavors, single trigger acceleration. The founder immediately vests some percentage of their invested shares after a single event occurs. Typically the triggering event is a change of control such as an acquisition. Double trigger acceleration. The founder immediately vests some percentage, commonly 100% of their unvested equity after two events occur. Typically, the first event is a change in ownership, for instance, an acquisition, and the second event is the termination of the founder employment by the new owner of the company, or a constructive termination, where the new owner makes it untenable for the founder to work in their new job. Both flavors of an acceleration protect the interest of founders in the event of an acquisition. There are a variety of reasons for this. One is that surrendering control over one's employment to the new owner shouldn't also surrender control over one upside due to the value one has created at the acquired company. Single trigger acceleration is often preferred by the founder's employees relative to, relative to double trigger acceleration since acceleration is a one thing is a thing one wants and it is easier to qualify for single trigger than double trigger. VCs in Silicon Valley generally prefer double trigger acceleration over single trigger. Single trigger acceleration is not standard in Silicon Valley, though some companies do provide it. The exact specifics of what constitutes a trigger event are very important and are set by the terms of the stock purchase agreement. 
It is important to scrutinize the documents closely and get legal advice. An excellent reason to provide to provide double trigger acceleration for funders is to signal that it, it will also be provided to top employees who are more at risk of involuntary involuntary separation in an acquisition and have limited ability to extract favorable terms from the acquirer without backing from the founders. Generally, companies will authorize a certain number of shares when they incorporate. This was actually, before I go on, this it would be interesting to have a, a wider discussion about like if the single trigger obviously sounds better for founders. Double trigger, there's a bit more protection on the investor side. So because basically, if you have single trigger, somebody buys your company and then poof, you're gone. With double trigger, you only get fully vested if the new guys that buy you they say you know i'm buying your company uh i don't need you and uh you know you can go with the with your ownership and uh goodbye but luckily you're you're at least covered from that double trigger generally the issue is with somebody like you know trying to i don't know sue you or i wonder i wonder where the issue is if it's with somebody trying to sue you as a founder saying yeah you didn't do this you didn't do that so like you don't even deserve that double that double trigger doesn't happen because you're just fired i don't know if that's that's the case right instead of let go double i need to double check on this so generally companies yeah generally companies will authorize a certain numbers of shares certain number of shares when they incorporate but only issue a portion of them initially, dividing them between founders as per their mutual agreement. For example, a company might authorize 10 million shares, but only issue 8 million, splitting them evenly between the co-founders. Those 2 million are, are held in a reserve for future people to receive them, most commonly employees. Yeah. Why pre-authorize shares you instead, you instead you, you intend to give to employees? Because authorizing shares requires boring, expensive legal works and filing with the state, but issuing authorized shares can be done relatively easily. Authorizing more shares than you plan to issue up front will only save you costs and headache over time. If you don't end up needing the shares that are authorized but not issues, that's fine. Shares that aren't issues don't yet don't dilute any owner of the company. Issuing shares that you haven't authorized, on the other hand, is a recipe for a huge expensive legal mess. You might wonder what dilution is. Basically, as the number of shares in a company increases, each share accounts for less of the ultimate economic value of the company. If you own 4 million shares out of 8 million at the time your, uh, the company is founded, but need to authorize and issue 2 million shares to employees and 30 million shares to investors, you end up owning only 10% of the company, not the 50% you started with. That is fine and natural. 10% of a meaningful, successful business is likely worth a lot more as a dollar figure than 50% of a dream is. But you should be cognizant that dilution happens to you and every other owner of the company every time you issue shares to anyone. 
consider the stylized case of a company with 10 million authorized shares, of which eight are issued equally to two co-founders. Each founder owns 50% of the company as of today, but has indicated that they're on board with being diluted down to 40% in the case where all shares are issued most likely to employees. Each additional new issuance, such as in the exchange for investments, dilutes the founders and other owners of the company. Further, dilution is not intrinsically a bad thing. It is simply a price at some prices. It is beneficial to buy things. For instance, the participation of an employee or money from an investor with the hope of providing greater value to the company than the price paid. You might be curious as to how founder's equity is taxed. You will almost certainly want to consult the professional advisors about it. If you acquire property, such as a stock, at a price below its fair market value, you will have taxable income on a difference between the fair market value and the price you actually paid for the property. One reason founders often purchase their stock immediately after incorporation is so that the shares can be purchased when a fair market value is par value. So they can pay for a large number of shares up front at a nominal price and then have no income on the purchase. They will eventually owe income tax if they sell shares at the gain, but this is likely years down the road. Shares which are subject to vesting have the substantial risk of being forfeited. Forfeited. I need to check how you pronounce that. If you know how it is, please send me another message about it. They'll generally be repurchased repurchased at a nominal price if the founder leaves the company. The default position under UX tax law is that a founder has has earned the shares from a tax perspective, not a legal one, as of when the risk goes away, that is, when the shares vest. This means that the spread between fair market value of the shares and the price paid is calculated every time some of the shares vest. If the shares have increased in value before vesting, the shareholder might have enjoyed a paper gain on the difference between par value and the fair market value of the shares. This founder would ordinarily owe income tax on the income that is the difference that 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 difference is assumed to represent. Even if they cannot actually sell the shares yet, this math can get brutal. For example, in a stylized example, a co-founder who is vesting 4 million shares of a company worth 20 million with 10 million shares issue will vest 1 million shares per year or about 83,000 a month each is worth $2 so the co-founder would be seen as earning an income of about $180,000 a month this money is not cash there does not yet exist a market for those shares but the IRS demands payment if the funders actually received $180,000 a month in cash from the company and similarly the company owes payroll taxes on that amount that is insane this is why I make sure if you're incorporating US, remember about this. I've been told already a million times, so I already know about this. 83B. Enter the 83B election. If you file the appropriate paper, paperwork with the IRS within 30 days of acquiring stock, US tax law will instead deem you, deem you to have acquired all of your shares when you paid for them. Thus, the spread between the fair market value and the repurchase price of the shares is calculated and taxed up front when the shares still have minimal value burden as they vest, which will typically result in little or no tax liability. This is one of the critical housekeeping tasks for early startups. 
do not forget your 83B election. It's like do dot not dot forget dot your dot 83B dot election dot all in bold. So yeah, talk to an accountant or lawyer to see if you should file one on how and how to file it correct, correct, correctly. Uh, this issue has bankrupt very smart, honest taxpayers whose only mistake mistakes were working for a company which got valuable and neglecting to send in a one-page piece of paper by a deadline. Every tax accountant in Silicon Valley can tell you cautionary t- stories. Don't become one of them. When, an Ameri- when American companies that are publicly traded sell stock, they can register those sales with various government agencies. When private companies issue stock to funders, they are almost always exempt from federal registration requirements. It's generally not necessary to file anything with the U.S. government to qualify for this exemption, but each U.S. state has its own requirements and companies may need to file for exemptions from registration. Depending on the states in which the funders are based, other countries may also have rules that create legal and tax obligations for non-U.S. founders. It's important to talk with your attorney to understand if any of these obligations apply. Stripe Atlas provides a tool that enables founders to generate and sign legal documents to authorize, authorize and issue stock to the founding team using templates provided by Oric, which is a really big law firm. These templates include standard terms used by experienced entrepreneurs and investors. The tool is available immediately after incorporation for only 30 days to companies who have not done anything to increase the value of the company since incorporation. In other words, the fair market value of shares in the company is still par value. The standard terms using the tools are vesting schedule, four-year vesting, one-year cliff, with even monthly vesting over the three-year post-cliff period. Acceleration, double-trigger acceleration, founder vest immediately if they are fired or constructively fired. Ah, okay after changing control. So I had this question, so even if you're fired with a double trigger, you're fine. So that's not that bad after all. It just, it, I guess, yeah, on behalf of investors, they really need it because if they do sell the company and the invest and the founder immediately vests, <laughs> then the, com- the the guys who bought the company, or you know, they, they have no, since most it's mostly about the founders, then they have kind of no incentive into, into have bought that company, you know? So, Okay, almost done. Number of shares issued. The number and allocation of authorized shares is up to the funding team. At least 20% of authorized shares will remain unissued so they can be issued to employees, advisors, or service providers in the future. Price per share, the tool uses the par value chosen at the corporation. Using these defaults, most Stripe Atlas funders should owe no more than tens of dollars for their funder stock. If you prefer to consult with lawyers to customize the terms, we can give you the templates provided by Oric to work on with your legal advisors to save you some time. You should always speak with an attorney before issuing equity in your company for the first time. If you have an attorney, we'd be happy to introduce you to attorneys who have helped other Stripe Atlas users. If you're not a Stripe Atlas company, we encourage you to receive advice specific to your situation from a qualified attorney in your jurisdiction. A sampling of issues associated with issuing stock to be aware of, many U.S. states have regulatory requirements to register issuance of shares with, with them. If you're located outside of the United States, treatment, treatment of equity grants or equity vesting can be materially different than described here. You will want to have 
a qualified local accountant or lawyer, explain the implication and help you choose a structure which is appropriate to the founders and the company needs. There may be additional tax consequences associated with issuing shares. There are other issues and they are very specific to your circumstances. Seek qualified professional advice. And that is it. You can find this article at stripe.com slash um, en-us-atlas-guides-equity. All right, I'm checking out as I need to jump on a call. It's 8 p.m. over here. Uh, take care, guys. All the best. Thank you.